what would you put on that list? You might say things like a good economy, just laws, police and judges that don't take bribes, a good education, social safety nets for those who need them. But I would say, but what are really the foundational things that if you don't have these things, nothing else would exist? You might say, well, there needs to be good moral foundations. There needs to be a belief in God, solid families. You might add to that parents that raise their children with a solid moral foundation, uh, respect for others, a good work ethic. But what about, would you include on that list what we just read? Honor your father and your mother. That might not make it on the list. Maybe it would make it, but I doubt it would be the very first thing that any of us would write. And this is slightly different than how we often hear it, which is teaching your kids to honor their father and your mother, right? But the command there is primarily about teaching. But this commandment is not about parenting per se. It's about how parents treat their parents before it's about a commandment for what you teach your children. It's something that applies to every single one of you in this room. With the fifth commandment, we are entering into what is often called the second table of the law. Some have speculated, if you remember, uh, we'll read here as we work down in Exodus, Moses comes down with two tablets of stone. And some said maybe it is the fifth through the tenth commandment that are on that second tablet. But what really distinguishes these is that the first four commandments that we've already looked at are really just ways that you can love God. And then the second six commandments, five through ten, are a list of ways that you can love others. Now, I doubt if any one of you were to make a list of how can I love others, you would write down, honor your father and your mother as the first thing. And yet, God did that. Why? And to make this command even stand out more from the rest, it's the first command that actually has a positive promise with it. If you do this, you will live long in the land. It's a way of saying that this is foundational to a stable society, one that enjoys generations of peace and well-being. And so why is this so important? Why is this so foundational? Why did God put this as the first command for how to love other people? And to make this all the more complicated, what if you didn't have good parents? And how do you honor bad parents? We're working our way through the second part of our series through the book of Exodus. And we've called this section the gift of the law. Now, many of us think of the law more as kind of a report card. How good am I doing before God and how much will he like me then? No, but remember, God has already redeemed these people. He says, I love you. And now the law is his blueprints for a beautiful community. Perhaps that's all the more clear here in this command. Do you want to enjoy a long life in the land? Generations of stability and peace and prosperity. It starts with how you treat your parents. And so that's what I want you to remember this morning. Honor your parents. Honor your parents. And we're going to look at this just two ways. First, the priority of parents. And then second, how to honor your parents. So the first thing I want to do is kind of, we're going to take a step back and look throughout the Bible, all the places where this command comes up to understand why is this so important for God. And it's interesting some of the places it does pop up. So consider 2 Timothy 2, 2-3. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, all really bad things, right? But then it adds, disobedient to their parents. 
And then it goes on, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good. So much in that list are just horrible things, right? But then in the middle of it is disobedient to their parents, which almost kind of sounds out of place, right? Or someone who just got through with a, taunt, a tantrum with their toddler and threw that in there because they just were feeling kind of the, the stress of that. And yet, honoring one's parents, disobedience to their parents, is tied to terrible times in the last days. Now, if you're a parent and have had a toddler, particularly a strong-willed toddler, there are sometimes in the heat of the moment in their tantrum where it feels like terrible times in the last days, right? And you're like, when will this be over? But more seriously, Scripture links the state of the world to the terrible times in the last days with the honor or lack of it that children show their parents. Paul in Romans 1, 29 and 30, describes people that have been given over to sin, and he says, they are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, right? Like, that's a pretty bad description. It's like someone that said, you know what? I've tried everything in Lord Voldemort's 1,001 ways to be evil, and now we've got to make some new ones. And then right after that, it adds, they are, they are disobedient to their parents, why is this so important in Scripture? Why is this command tied to that downward spiral of society? Let's consider Luke 3, which gives us this genealogy of Jesus, tracing Jesus all the way back to the very beginning with Adam. So in verse 38, it says, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, and then who is the first human, and then it goes on one more step and says, Adam was the son of God. So if Adam's father was God, we could say that the fall into sin was a failure for Adam and Eve to honor their father. In Genesis 2.16, God gives Adam this command, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, from when you, because when you eat of it, you will surely die. What is crucial to an enduring and stable society in the Garden of Eden? It's honoring their father's instructions. And if Adam and Eve had done that, we wouldn't be in any of this mess. I mean, even think of that contrast with the promise of the fifth commandment that you will enjoy long life in the land if you honor your father and your mother. And very back in the beginning of the garden, it was disobeying their father's command that led to Adam and Eve getting evicted from that good land, the Garden of Eden. This is foundational to understanding this commandment. Really, this commandment is about honoring authority. And our parents are the very first authorities we have in our life. And how you honor or don't honor your parents will spill over into other parts of your life, and it has broad effects on the rest of society, either for good or for bad. We can see how foundational this command is because before Adam and Eve had kids to teach that they need to honor their parents, Adam and Eve had a father that they needed to honor, God. Every one of you will have a period in your life when you don't have kids. You may never have kids, but every one of you never has a time when you don't have a father or a mother. Some people will never have kids, but no one will never have a parent. If you exist, it's because 
there was a man and a woman that contributed something of themselves to make you. And whether or not you know them, they're out there. You have them. This is a command then that doesn't just apply to a few people, like parents, but to everybody. Because if you're here, that means you have a parent. And how will you treat them? Martin Luther writes about this command. We read just a little bit past where we read in the service today. He says, why think you is the world, this is you know, in the 1500s, why think you is the world now so full of unfaithfulness, disgrace, calamity, and murder? Which could sound like today as well, right? Because everybody desires to be his own master and free from the emperor and to care nothing for anyone and to do what pleases him. He, like many of the other people in his time, believed that this command applied more broadly into how we treat the authorities in our life. And one of the reasons there are so many issues in our society is because no one wants to be under someone else. No one wants to honor other people naturally. We all want to be our own boss. We all want to do what I want to do. The, the last thing that I want to do is lay down my preferences in order to honor what someone else would desire. We could say that the downfall of a society is found when the foundational belief is something like follow your own heart. That will never lead to honoring others. But God shows that the foundation for a stable society begins with how you treat the authorities in your life. And it starts with your parents, right now. So that's a little bit of the foundation. Now let's get into the practical nature of it. What does it mean to honor your parents? And we're going to look at this in a little more detail, and particularly answer some of the, the questions that you all have. Now, when we think about children honoring the parents, the first thing we think of is, you know, little kids like we're sitting next to me here, how do they treat their parents, right? Do they say yes to when mom and dad ask them something to do? Are they respectful? Things like that. And that is included in this command. And yet I was struck as I looked through the Bible how often this command is applied to grown children, to adults, to, to not three-year-olds, but to 30-year-olds. And I think this is in part because it's a lot harder to figure out how do you honor your parents when you're grown than it is when you're a kid, right? When you're a kid, it's about saying, yes, mom, yes, dad. It's about not talking back, being respectful, all those things. But when you're 20, or 21, or 30, or 40, or even 50, it's a lot harder to know, how do I honor my parents now? How do you honor your parents when maybe you hold different beliefs from their beliefs? How do you honor them when you can see their flaws so clearly now? How do you honor them when you blame them for things that they did to you or things that they allowed to be done to you? How do you honor your parents then? Well, first let's understand what does it mean to honor something? Earlier in Exodus 12, verse 42, we read, On this night the Lord kept his promise to bring his people out of the land of Egypt. So this night belongs to him, and it must be commemorated, which is the same Hebrew word for honor. Every year by all the Israelites. So to honor something means to give thanks for what's, doing, what's due them. That in Exodus 12, it says, this is the day when God basically shamed Pharaoh and gave you freedom so that you could walk out of slavery into a, you know, a, a new and better future. And so every year, you should honor God for that gift on this day by celebrating what he did. It makes me wonder even if we have it wrong with our birthdays, that instead of the, one of the ways that we can honor our parents is celebrating our parents on our birthday, right? Not the other way around, on their birthday, but on our birthday. Why? 
Well, because you owe your birthday to your mom and dad. We should honor them for that. Exodus was Israel's birthday. When they walked through the waters of the Red Sea, that was a new birth for them, a birth, their birthday as a nation. And they're to honor God in that way. There's a number of ways that you can honor your parents, even if they had big failings. I mean, think of it very basically. Your mother's womb provided a safe place for you that you would have died if you weren't inside it. Her womb provided a protection and nourishment for you when you were just a few little cells and wouldn't survive even a minute outside of it. And yet her womb nourished you, protected you from sickness. She gave of her life. She gave of her sleep when she was uncomfortable so that you could be comfortable in the womb. And so she gave of her blood, her nourishment, so that you could grow to be big enough that when you finally came out into this world, you had a pretty good chance of living. We should honor our mothers for that. And if you've been there when a little baby is born, right, there is just this wave of power and love and joy that just lifts you up above this life and makes you wonder, there's got to be a God out there. But we should also give thanks and honor our mothers who were so involved in that process. We just take it for granted, but think about it, right? With the latest medical technology that we have, we still cannot replicate the care and comfort of a mother's womb. Honor her for that. Honor is more than just what you say about her or him, your parents. Consider Isaiah 29, 13. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. To honor someone is an attitude of your heart. It's not just saying nice things about your parents on their birthday or sending them the card or sending nice things in front of others, but you hold a grudge against them in your heart. True honor starts in your heart. Consider 1 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor is tied to your actions. Just as when you became a Christian, your body becomes God's dwelling place. His spirit lives in you. And so you are then to honor God in with your body. He's bought it. And in the same way or in a similar way, you owe your body to your parents. Sometimes this is annoying, right? The older you get, man, why did my parents have to give me those genes? Why am I looking more and more like them? But you should also honor your parents with the way you live, with your body. You know, particularly for for the teenagers in our church, you honoring your mom and dad with their rules and and the the way that they are running their home. Maybe you really want to get a piercing or a tattoo or wear certain clothes. And none of those things may be wrong. And yet part of honoring your parents is that move when it might be something that would be okay for you to do, but it wouldn't be honoring them for you to do it. And you, when, when you lay down your desires to align with their desires, that's honor. It's showing them, I'm going to lay down my preferences for you. And there is a growth in character which results in societal blessings when we're willing to lay down our preferences to honor somebody else. 
And it all starts with maybe a disagreement on Monday morning at the breakfast table about what you want to wear to school. And mom or dad says, no. Do you honor them in that? To honor someone means you direct your resources in a way that helps them. Proverbs 3, verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crop. So to honor God means you give him the first of what you earn, of your resources. In a similar way, honoring your parents means you use your resources to bless them. And this is so opposite of how we tend to think of these things today, right? Where there are so many families that fight and even split over the allocation of an inheritance. Your mom or dad's belongings, who's going to get what? Fighting over your parents' stuff is the opposite of honoring your mom and your dad. And this means as your parents get older and need more care, do you provide for them? Are you with them? Do you honor them with your time and relationship? And your parents, in most cases, spend hours of sleepless nights, cleaning up poop, cleaning up throw up, doctor's bills, all kinds of other bills, so that you would live and have a pretty good life. Are you honoring them now when they need you to care for them? And again, even if you had parents that mistreated you, you cannot allow their failures and their sins to overshadow the good they did, right? to, to be, give thanks for that. Maybe you didn't have all the food you wanted, but did they at least try to provide food? Maybe it wasn't the stablest of homes, but at least did you have a roof over your head? Did you have clothes to wear? Don't take those very simple things for granted and honor them for what they did do. And most parents are trying, and it's their own sins and addictions that get in the way of their desire to try to do a good job. Honor them for the ways they did do a good job. You're never too old to not honor your parents. In 1 Samuel 23, verses 3 to 4, we read, David said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? David is the anointed king of Israel, and he's in line to become king, but he's not taken the throne yet because Saul, the current king, is still there. And Saul doesn't like that David's the next king, and so Saul thinks he's going to fix this by killing David. And so he's chasing David all around trying to kill him. And David, though, even with everything going on in his life at that moment, just little things like fleeing from someone trying to kill him, takes the time to stop and remember his parents and ensure that they're cared for and protected. Right? He's likely concerned. If, if Saul's trying to kill me, maybe he'll use my parents against me. Maybe he'll put them in danger to trap me. And so he goes to another king and says, will you care for them? And so I know what God's going to do next. And it's worth noting that this command specifies honor for your father and your mother. We're to show honor to both. Both were needed for you to have life. Even if you don't know who your father is, you still have a father. He gave you life. And there's an honor that's to do that, even if there's little beyond that. Fathers, you need to model and teach your kids what it looks like to honor their mom through how you treat her and honor her. And mothers, you need to show your kids how to honor their father with your words and your actions. Additionally, if you were adopted, there's an honor 
do there for those who adopted you? Sometimes people adopt kids for the best reasons. Sometimes they're for bad reasons. And yet, even in that, there's an honor for the way they cared for you. Now, the tough part about this command is it doesn't have any fine print, right? It doesn't say you can honor them as long as they're good parents. Or, you know, just you know, honor them as long as the scale is more good than bad. If not, then you don't have to do it. It's put in the same category where elsewhere in Scripture we're called to submit to our governing authorities. Not because they're necessarily righteous. In fact, usually they're far from it. But because they're serving in this role that God has ordained. So you can have respect for that office, even if you don't have respect for that person. And the roles of father and mother are ones that God has ordained. And we should respect those roles, even if we have trouble respecting the people that hold them. And I said to you earlier, no matter how bad your parents may have been, you still owe your life to them. Now, to honor them, it doesn't mean do everything that they say. Ephesians 6, verse 1. Paul writes, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And that little phrase, in the Lord, means that you have a high responsibility to follow God. You can honor your parents even without doing everything they ask you to do. That if they ask you to do something beyond what God says, or in contradiction to what God says, you don't have to do that. But you can say no in a way that's honoring to them. To honor your parents doesn't mean they have to control your life. There are times when you need distance, when boundaries are needed for the sake of your immediate family. Jesus modeled this in showing that our love for God must be greater than our love for parents. So that sometimes we need to set boundaries in order to make sure that our parents aren't taking away from that primary love that we need to have for God, for his people. With all this talk, though, about honoring your parents, there are probably more people in this room than we would realize who are struggling with that idea because of the things that your parents did to you. Maybe they gave you up and you don't know who they are. Maybe they abandoned you. Or they abandoned your mom and left her with nothing to care for you. Maybe they never said, I love you. Maybe they were distant from you. Maybe they were overbearing and too strict and just ground you into the ground, always told you about all your failures. Maybe they abused you. How do you honor bad parents? As I was wrestling with it this week, I think the answer that seems to make most sense to me is this, that you learn to forgive them. The way that you can honor bad parents is you learn to forgive them. Now, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what biblical forgiveness is. Forgiveness isn't just forgetting about it, getting over your past pain, the injustices against you, the wounds that maybe you still carry, and say, okay, I just got to forget about that to forgive him. No. The, the, the way that we see this most clearly is, do you think Jesus ever got over the cross? No, it was impossible. It changed his life. And yet, he has forgiven the people that put him there, which is us. But he still carries the marks of the wounds that he endured there, on his hands, and on his feet, and at his side. But you see, those wounds have been transformed into testaments that God's love is greater. And God's love is greater than your real and darkest suffering 
in your life. Dave Pallison is helpful when he talks about the two types of forgiveness that we need to be aware of. The, the first one is the one that we all think of, which is kind of that horizontal forgiveness, which is I need to go to that person and ask for forgiveness, right, or um, forgive them. The challenge is sometimes people don't ask for forgiveness. Sometimes the people that wronged you don't even acknowledge they wronged you. And how do you forgive then? Well, he points out that in Scripture we see another type of forgiveness, a vertical forgiveness before God. He calls it an attitudinal forgiveness. And this is a forgiveness that every Christian is called to, regardless of whether the person who has wronged you has ever asked for forgiveness, or whether they even acknowledge that they wronged you. It's that forgiveness in your heart before God, where you essentially give him that pain. So when Jesus says in Mark eleven twenty five, but when you are praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Now, Jesus isn't saying stop your prayer and go run to wherever that person is and say, I need to forgive you. No, he's speaking of a forgiveness that occurs in your heart in the middle of your prayer. Pallison writes, the vertical aspect of forgiveness deals with our attitudes. The purpose is to change you not to deal with the other person. You see, friends, when you are holding on to those past wrongs that your parents put on you, when you still have somewhere in your heart the pain of their failures or their abuse or their ways that they've hurt you so much, as much as you don't want to acknowledge it, that pain is like a lead weight around your life that is continually sinking you down into that very darkness that you want to avoid. And some of you are trying so hard because you don't want that to go down to your kids, right? You want to be a better parent than that. And yet it's like you're trying so hard to stay above the water, and yet the weight of the sins that have happened to you, it never lets go. And how do you deal with that? The only way to keep that pain from running into the next generation is to give that pain and give that darkness and give that anger to God. See, God knows exactly how you were wronged. He is good and he is angry at every injustice that occurs. And he sees everything that was done in the dark. He sees everything that happened that maybe no one else knows happened. And he sees it and he promises that he will make everything right. And so what you need to do is to realize the only way for it to be made right in your heart is to trust God to make it right, instead of you trying to do it on your own. Because if you live the rest of your life resenting your parents, or your grandparents, or these other people in your life, angry at them, unable to forgive them, it will not go well for you in the land. Because that anger will leak out into your marriage in all kinds of ways. It will leak onto your kids, no matter how hard you're trying to get away from it. And it will do the exact opposite of what you want so much in your heart. It will allow the legacy of hurt to flow into the next generation. But to forgive, the forgiveness that every one of us is called to and can do, even if that person never asked for it, is to take that lump of pain, your baggage, your history, 
and to put it into Jesus' scarred hands. And to say, Jesus, you're the only one that can actually handle this. Jesus, you're the one that knows what it is like to be hurt by those closest to you. Jesus, you know what it is like to be abused. You know what it is like to be betrayed. And Jesus, I trust that you will care for my wounds better than anyone else can, including myself. That you'll see how horrible they are, and you won't just tell me to suck it up and keep moving. You'll see how dark they are, and not tell me, oh, it's not that big of a deal. But you will also take all of them so that I can be free from it and trust that you know how to heal them. And it's only when you give all of that to Jesus and take the gavel out of your own hand for those angers and those injustices that you've been holding on to and give it to him that you can actually begin to heal from the inside out. Jesus can care for your wounds better than you can. He can actually handle the depth of darkness that resides in you and it won't scare him and lead him to run away like others will. He can say, I want it all. I want you to hold nothing back from that pain, that horror, those things had happened. And I want to say it's mine so that you can spend the rest of your life not living in the shadow of your parents or your grandparents or your guardian's failures, not living the rest of your life in the shadow of the things that happened to you or maybe those you care so deeply about, but so you can step into a new future where you can begin to see the good your parents did, even if it wasn't much, and realize that you have a new and better Father in heaven who loves you so much, and he will not let you go, and he will not stop till everything's been made right. And you can be free and feel the joy of being wholly healed. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us give all of our wounds and our darkness. And these things that are so deep, we aren't even maybe aware of how deep they go. To you, the surgeon of our souls, the healer of the, one th the things that ail us so much. And free us from our past. Father, we'll never forget about it but your love can transform those wounds into testaments of the power of your love in the same way they transformed the wounds of Jesus. And we pray that you would do that in every one of our lives this day. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Each week we have a confession of our sin. It's not like many people think, I've got to confess all the ways I screwed up so God will like me again. But the confession is really inviting the light of Christ to come into your heart to expose the darkness and begin the work of healing. I'm going to read this prayer. You can pray along silently, and then there'll be a few moments for you to pray on your own as well. God of love and justice, we long for peace within and peace without. We long for harmony in our families, for serenity in the midst of struggle. We long for the day when our homes will be a dwelling place for your love. Yet we confess that we are often anxious. We do not trust each other and we harbor violence. 
we're not willing to take the risks and make the sacrifices that love requires. Look upon us with kindness and grace. Rule in our homes and in all the world. Show us how to walk on your paths through the mercy of our Savior. Father, hear us as we pray now.